Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to That Christian Geeky Couple. From Boise, Idaho, this is Adam. And Andrew again. And we have quite a bit of Doctor Who. Uh, we're going to focus this one as an all Doctor Who episode, and we'll talk about other things in another episode we'll post later. As we continue our journey through River Song's career uh, and timeline, we actually are talking about another a story that we've actually talked about before, and that is the Husbands of River Song. Uh, Andrea, is there any, what stood out to you on this second viewing? Um, yeah, has too many husbands. Yeah, and I think that there is, um, uh, of course, a question as to why she does it, um, or, uh, and some of them are clearly things where she is using people and just convenience. And I think through uh, a lot of the episode, the doctor thinks uh, that is the case uh, with uh, him. She really hurt him. Yeah, there was a lot uh, uh, in there about the... Uh, uh, it was nice to see him connected to his past in this episode, you know, still caring about her, even though he was a whole different man the last time he saw her. Yeah, well, two, depending on how you, two different mans ago, but yeah, it's depending on how you count it, but it's, uh, of course, very tricky always with the timeline. But I, I think that there was so much in this episode in terms of the way Capaldi did it. Uh, he managed to say a lot without actually saying uh, anything. Facial expressions, very powerful. And, um, uh, and he, you know, when he did say stuff, there, there was a lot of funny stuff, but there was also... Uh, some very uh, good moments. Um, she was almost unbelievably thick in his trying to tell her who he is. Yeah. It's like, okay, she is really stuck in her di- uh, mental framework of there is only, <laughs> um, you know, the others. Yeah. Not him. Yeah, that there were only 12 uh, doctors. Counting the war doctor? Yes. And I don't think that he would be interested in any sort of um, romantic jaunts. Um, Not really his style. Um, But I I think that you you see this idea that, that, of course, they both have, you know, somewhat independent lives. Um, and her biggest misconception, uh, I, I think, was that 
she loved the doctor, but that the doctor uh, didn't love her, which I think may have been the big... Why do you think she thought that? Um, well, she basically has the idea that the doctor's too big for that. Uh, is a sen- You know, she compared it to loving a comet or, a, or the stars, you know, that sort of thing. So why did he, she think he'd married her then? Well, the way that the wedding came off, it was a technical wedding that it wasn't quite shotgun, but it wasn't quite this great big romantic moment either. Uh, it was a somewhat ambiguous Gallifreyan uh, ceremony, and I think it, uh, I think it was a you know it was you know performed in an alternate timeline. So I think it left a lot of doubts uh, in her mind, the way that... Um, she thought it might have been just a marriage of convenience. Yeah, and I think that may be why she uh, took on these other relationships and had these other pursuits, is her view was that the doctor was above any sort of, you know you know, romance or romantic um, feeling or relationship or actually being able to care for her. Um, and uh, that, that I think, it was, was the very interesting... And why did she think that so many times she had thrown herself off of buildings and he had been there? And at the time, she sure had trusted him to be there. So what's happened? Well, Thomas passed. I missed something. Well, I think we've missed a lot of years in between the wreck of the Byzantium and um, uh, the angels uh, in Manhattan. I think that she has aged a bit, and she's also had this um, feeling of frailty and of the doctor not wanting to see um, when th- things change or when aging occurs. Um, I, I do think, and it is probably, you know, on the negative, it's probably one of the big hallmarks of Moffat's era. In order to make uh, women seem strong or cool or have some great sense, it's done by making the doctor seem lesser or uh the i dislike that yeah the idea that her nickname for the doctor is damsel is just plain uh ridiculous i mean um you know you look through you know just what we've seen on screen of doctor who and it is not the case of uh, River coming to the doctor's rescue time and time again. You had... Um, Maybe it was supposed to be an ironic nickname, like, you know, tall, calling a really tall guy shorty. Or calling a short guy stretch. Well, I, I, it could be taken that way, but based on the way Moffat has done this stuff before, I think it's clearly kind of to make, you know, like the hardest break thing in uh, the time of angels. It's it's intended to be somewhat dissing 
the doctor to make the woman seem uh, stronger. I think it just makes the woman look like a rhinestone witch. Well, and plus it defines the woman as, you know, woman versus man. A strong woman is strong in her own light. Right, she doesn't need a man to be less. Yeah, and I I think that that is one thing. And they do kind of go... um, You do not need to emasculate men to exalt women. That is, it's sexist to think so. Yeah. And the other thing that they did is they kind of waffled on the idea... For example, we just watched uh, watch the Angels in Manhattan. And River's uh, advice, you know, to Amy is never to let him see you age, to never see you change and become more, uh, become more frail. And then in this episode, we have uh, the, we have uh, her telling the doctor that uh, he can't tell when she's aged. And mind you that the way this episode is written, it's set right after the angels take Manhattan. So this is a case of Moffat establishing something and then deciding to change his mind later on. And it's one of those things where if you're going to write something... Maybe that she's simply boasting? And I'm not sure how her boast is incompatible with Never Let Him See You Age. Well, the idea is that he can't tell, which was something that was established in Last Christmas where he couldn't tell that Clara had aged uh, 50 years um, in, the, uh, in the Series 8 Christmas special. So it just highlights how Moffat has uh, rewritten his own, you know, has written and rewritten rules of how the Doctor works in order to suit his own purpose he in a given story. Noticed? Yeah, that was the point that When he, did he not notice? Well, that was one of the things in Last Christmas that he couldn't actually tell that Clara had aged. To her, she was just the same as she'd always been. It's this I the I'd, old one? In yeah, in C- Well that might be kind of ex- well, that could still be compatible with Don't Let Him See You Age. It would be, he, basically he could not handle her aging so much he was not letting himself see her age. Um. He just could not handle the sight of, of her, he just could not wrap his mind around that. And was not, in a way, not letting himself see her age, persisting and seeing her as the same Clara. Right, but it's it's just it's just some. That's it, not like I said. That's not like even then. That could almost be kind of talking about what River meant. He really just could not handle an older Clara. He had to kept persisting and seeing her as the same kid he knew. Well, I mean, I, I suppose that that's. Uh, possible, but the way it was portrayed, it was this this very. It wasn't like he's deceiving himself and he can't see it. It's oh, it's so sweet. The doctor thinks she's exactly the same as she was, and he can't tell the difference because he's a time lord, and he, because of that, he can't perceive the passage of time. 
That makes no sense. Well, it's supposed to be really sweet. And in context, it was. But it's like... At the same time, in the context of don't let him see you age, what when you look at the whole thing and you accept Fofa's canon, and how do you make it, how do they play together? Um, I'm not sure they play particularly well. It just... Well, it plays the way I said It's like he really... It's it's not so sweet. It's a psychological inability to deal with her aging. I see. So... So the doctor's kind of nuts, is the point. Well, yes. They've been... Did they ever get away from the madman in the blue box thing? Uh, apparently no, he's the idiot here to help. That's the 12th Doctor's, uh, theme. Uh, uh-huh. well, you see, the 11th Doctor came right out and announced, I'm the madman in the box. And then the 12th Doctor in the series premiere was like, who am I? And then in the conclusion of series eight, I'm an idiot in a box. And so it was established. Honey? Yes. That was an ironic statement, because he's very clearly not an idiot. Well, they called himself that, so anyway. Uh, well, what did he mean by idiot? Because he's clearly not. Okay, uh, I think we are digressing a little bit from the... That's of- still, um, in fact, that statement is just so ridiculous. He's still a bad man in a box. Okay, well, I think we've digressed a little bit from like from this uh, episode. And I, like I said, while these points are, are against it, uh, in my mind, I... I th- you'd have to be crazy to think he's an idiot. Okay, so, we have... Can we please get back on track with this particular episode? What was the track? Okay. Um, I, I think that when you do get down to it, though, uh, the episode, I think it was pretty good throughout... But then you get into the last 10 to 15 minutes of it. And that is just so um, beautiful, the way that that uh, plays out. It goes right back into the idea of the uh, fairy tale. It's kind of like a story within the story. As the doctor uh, goes to the planet with the the singing towers and... um, provides a diamond so that the rescue worker can take the reward and can establish the restaurant. And it's a good thing that a random rescue worker had the talents to build a world-class luxury restaurant there. But, uh, and then the doctor flies the TARDIS forward and finds it's all booked up for four years. And then he just flies the TARDIS forward again. And we're at the uh, Singing Towers where um, River told Ten they had their um, their last uh, uh, night together. And, you know, he's in the new suit, and it's just such a lovely scene, the way it plays out. And I think Peter Capaldi and Alex Kingston are perfectly matched Um in this in this scene and it's just a very classy emotional scene um that is a a very nice and fitting um 
um, just wanted to say that yes, they are so perfectly matched for each other that it makes me appreciate uh, Matt Smith's acting all the more because he was such a good actor. He was, even though she's told for him, he was able at times to make me think that he was told for her. Well, yeah, that gets you into the story. Um, I mean, how did you, how did you, how did you, what, what were your thoughts at that ending scene of them at the towers? It was quite beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it was a very romantic scene. And it's very telling in some ways because it was not, you know, because they, they tried to, many of the River Song stories, I think, they've tried to overdo um, sexuality and, you know, making her, you know, you know, just come on, you know, like all hot and heavy almost on the on the eleventh doctor, and it just it's a little bit of was a little bit of comedy, but not a lot of romance in, in that sort of approach here it's very classy, emotional, and without you know and it's just perfectly played and just a, you know, a wonderful story. And I actually liked it more the second time around than the first time. Um, I think it's, it was just a great uh, special. So I'm upgrading it to eight TARDISes out of ten. Mm. Nine. Nine. Okay. Well, now we... M- so I still don't like the other guy. The uh, king... No, the other one. Um, the short guy? No, the other one is supposedly you're married to her. Yeah, that was just kind of extraneous. And it's just, they never really explained that very adequately. No. Okay, so moving on, our Doctor Who continues with a look at the Web of Fear. Uh, in which the second, uh, this is a classic Second Doctor serial, in which all but the last episode has, was restored, or the third episode was uh, restored to us. And uh, the plot has the Doctor, uh, Jamie, and Victoria being drawn into the London Underground, where robotic Yeti are at work. Uh, and the doctor meets up with his old uh, acquaintance, Professor Travers from the Abominable Snowman, uh, in the uh, underground. And we also, in episode three, get the first appearance of a very special ongoing character. Uh, Lethbridge Stewart makes his appearance as a colonel. Um... Of course, not Nicholas Courtney's first appearance in Doctor Who. That was back in the Daleks' master plan when he played uh, a guy from Earth Security, Brett Bion. Um, though perhaps uh, the Brigadier is actually related to Brett Bion uh, distantly. That would explain some things. But uh, this one was, it was actually a lot of fun. It was really suspenseful. Um, the Brigadier was a little cavalier about everything. 
too, a little too easily accepting of, you know, the Time Lord's wibbly-wobbly stuff. Well, I think that it's not... Uh, given what we learn about Lethbridge Stewart later on, you know, that he stumbles, that he's basically sent down here and goes down to take command of the situation. Um, I, th- I think that uh, it wouldn't be a stretch of the imagination to imagine that he had already been involved in the pre in unit or the precursor to unit, which is the countermeasures uh, group, which wasn't actually invented till 1988. But at any rate, um, retconned into existence. So it's it's not too much to imagine that uh, he was aware of some of the weird stuff that had already been happening, even if he wasn't aware of the Doctor himself. Uh, plus he had plus the Doctor and Professor Travers to back him up. Uh, this was, I think, a really good story for Jamie um, because Jamie really has to step up. Uh, particularly since on meeting Lethbridge Stewart, they're not sure if he is being controlled by the great intelligence. And they managed to have, and so Jamie is basically, he's taking action to protect the doctor, and he actually ends up um, overriding the doctor's plan in the finale with his own. Um which I think is, it's an incredible ending because you don't really see that. The Doctor has got this master plan to destroy the enemy and the Companion just says, no, I'm just going to have a Yeti come in and smash everything up. I mean, and it was awesome and it was... You're risking your life and it's stupid and unnecessary and I'm not having it. Yeah, I mean, Jamie just uh, over overrules uh, the Doctor and, you know, I absolutely love it. This is one of those episodes, because when they were doing Doctor, it was 39 to 40 plus weeks a year. Uh, members of the cast often were not in a given episode, um, and they found some excuse for it in the story. But the truth is that they were on vacation for a week or two. Um, and so this was a story where Patrick Troughton took a week off. And so Jamie gets to be really strong and really at his peak. If you are a fan of Jamie McCrimmon, who is my favorite classic uh, Doctor Who companion. uh, I wonder why. uh, He wears a kilt. Perhaps you identify with him a wee bit. A wee bit. That and and he totally kicks tail. Yes. Does Jamie have a unibrow? Okay. Uh, <laughs> no reason. No. Uh, it, you know, it's a it's a really good story. There's a lot of suspense in this, and it builds the character. The side characters are well drawn, and they're written so that you would with uh, enough quirks and personality. Because sometimes in Doctor Who, you know, when you have uh, particularly in the classic era, you'll have a bunch of tribesmen or a bunch of thals, and they're all just kind of indistinguishable from the uh, the other. 
they really drew these uh, characters out with some distinctive personalities because essentially you had a mystery going on and you have to have a sense of who the characters are so you can kind of decide who to suspect. Uh, I was very surprised at the reveal of the uh, mystery at the end. Uh, uh, and so I give Doctor Who credit for putting together a very compelling uh, mystery here. Um, and it, there's a lot of suspense, uh, excitement, and uh, I think the Yeti actually looked pretty good. Uh, may not have looked as good as in color, but the black and white hides a lot of flaws and the whole setting and lighting, it really does create a lot of atmosphere. Yes, yes, it does. So, overall, for Web of Fear, um, I think it is it's superb. It's the best of the uh, rediscovered episodes I've seen, and uh, I think the I really hope they get episode three back because we had to watch that one with stills. Why is there so many webs in the uh, series? Um, I don't know. Webs can be creepy or spooky, and they certainly were in this episode. And as a weapon of the uh, great intelligence, we actually have yet to. Uh, we have yet to see the web planet, um, which is a first doctor story. We're going to be going back to the first doctor, um, starting with, um, the, uh, reign of terror, uh, soon. But for this, uh, second doctor story, uh, superb, I'll give it nine tortoises out of ten. Eight and a half. All right. Well, now we move on to the Doctor Who, the 11th Doctor conversion. Uh, collects issues 11 through 15 of the first uh, run of Titan Comics on uh, Doctor Who. Plus, they have the free comic day extra. I actually, I read all of the free comic day uh, specials for Doctor Who from... Uh, the first year and this actually has been my this actually was my favorite um uh it's it a clever story about reality being warped and they only had i think five or six pages to uh work it out and the result is it's a kind of fun story that tweaks um uh, comic book writers and actually writers in general and you know unless less writers get too offended uh, probably should remember who wrote it which was a writer yeah it was probably a little uh, self depreciating yeah and uh, then uh we get into the main conclusion of conversion, and it really um, the it wraps up the story. It answers a lot of questions, like how Jones is this really bland beige person who just actually seems to disappear and blend in wherever they go. Um, became this uh, flamboyant, well-known uh, national pop sensation uh, that. Uh, Alice, uh, the Doctor's chief companion, was the fan of, as well as the final conclusion 
of the uh, plan by the evil aliens who have been menacing the Doctor and Alice since issue two, though actually back at issue two you didn't realize it. Uh, you know, it, it's actually a pretty good story. There are some slip-ups along the way and some parts that I think uh, don't quite work in, this con in the conclusion of the uh, main uh, title. But um, there's a lot that works, particularly the art, uh, because the, the artist here really does have a sense of why Doctor Who works in comics. Because with Doctor Who, you can, in theory, you can do anything you want, uh, genre-wise and um, what is actually out there. And uh, the art, you know, and the artist is able to draw it. He makes so much of this just come off the life, come to life, come off the page. Uh-huh. And then there's the guy who's dressed like a cross between the bluebird of happiness and the court jester. That's Jones again, uh, trying out another look. Um, this one sucked. Yes, it takes a while to get to the end, and it looks weird at the end, too. But it's the type of weird that'll make him a multi-millionaire and a legend of rock and roll. Um, and I think that the story does play out... Um, it does play out really well. Um, I... I was kind of questionable about the idea of the TARDIS kicking the doctor out. Um, they had a lover's squirrel. Yeah, that it just kind of felt like, okay, this is kind of stereotypically heavy <laughs> new series stuff. Um, but it gave Alice a chance to really rise to the occasion. And uh, and you had the final comment. Sometimes the way they fight us wonders she ever lets anyone else inside of her. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Most ladies are kind of particular about that. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, I, I mean, it's more like the TARDIS is only really portrayed as a person or personality when it's kind of convenient it's really an off and on thing i mean you can go you know episodes with it showing no signs of personality or hiccups and here it you know just throws them out of the tardis um i did l like the cliffhanger for the final issue with the reveal of who was or who it looked like was controlling the tardis um and uh, it uh, again, it was it was clever, and of course, it was a surprising reveal. But you know, until we remember the scout and how the scout has this. Should we have sang the spoiler song? Okay, you can sing the spoiler. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers ahead, spoilers. And, um, th this is, uh, uh, there are some good twists here, and I, I do, 
I do like that, you know, we do resolve the crowded TARDIS situation, too, because, you know, we had, you know, you had the Doctor, and you had Alice, and you had Jones, and you had Ark, and that's a lot to uh, manage consistently in the TARDIS, and I think we've had that for the better part of two books uh, in terms of that much presence in the TARDIS. Um, well, he's not alone anyway. Yes, that's true. Uh, but I, I, I do like that the series will be continuing with Alice, and I look forward to reading those. Because uh, this, this has been pretty good. Uh, I, I have to admit, going back and watching some of the River Song episodes, even though it reminded me of some of the things that I thought were somewhat off about the 11th Doctor era, it did call to mind some of the good things, uh, too. And for the record, the TARDIS has been that crowded before. I, well, I know it has. It's, was it the fifth doctor or the sixth doctor or both? Well, it was the fifth doctor who had, you know, three companions all the time. But it's not typical in the new series, uh, except for, like, Journey's End, where you had, like, six different people at the TARDIS con- uh, console. But that was just kind of a one-shot thing. Um when you have more than one or two people in the TARDIS, it's hard to keep things properly balanced. But uh, Titan really does do a good job, I think, on the 11th Doctor line. I've enjoyed most of their stuff, other than I think there was the, the first 12th Doctor book was a little there. But um, uh, the 11th Doctor book in particular shows a ton of imagination, uh, both in the writing and the art. And it's been consistent throughout the year. And I'm looking forward to the next year of 11th Doctor Comics because they're going to have a big plot about the War Doctor and uh, the 11th Doctor having to clear his name of some crime. So I think there's a lot to look forward to on that. Um, Overall, I think the book, uh, again, despite a few stumbles, was pretty good. And uh, it's a solid run. I will give it a rating of 8 Tardises out of 10. And a half, but I have one question. What was with the panels where the talent scout guy was looked an awful lot like the Goblin King? Um, well, it just has to do with his shape changing. And doubtless, if they look a lot like the Goblin King, um, it's probably the fact that the comic artist reads other comics, including American comics, and that influenced the decision. Um, but great book and uh, absolutely loving what Titan's been doing with Doctor Who. All right, well, I've got a few solo reviews I'm going to go ahead and turn to. Start off with the Doctor Who audiobook, The Last Voyage, read by David Tennant. And this is really kind of a story of two halves. The first half is really kind of plotting. As they're... Di- uh, dealing with a mystery aboard an interstitial uh, vessel, and they spend a lot of time on technobabble and explaining it, which is kind of tedious. It does pick up a little bit. The second half's a bit more suspenseful. It's kind of an average affair, but uh, okay, if you're willing to uh, wait uh, for the positives, I'll give this one a rating of six tortoises out of ten. Then next up, it's... uh, some big finish audio dramas and we start with unit shutdown and this one uh involves an energy company uh 
using its sponsorship of a university to obtain uh, relics that UNIT has sent to the university for study. And the aliens really wanting their technology back and thinking humanity is not ready to deal with it. Overall, this was an interesting story. The UNIT... um, audio dramas, we, we've had two box sets so far, um, are set in the world of New Who, so we get uh, Kate Stewart, and we get and Osgood back, and we actually get some insights into Osgood's personal life, and we seek how uh, Kate commands with great concern and care for all of her people at UNIT to make uh, sure they're safe and puts them first and their lives ahead of her own. Uh, Beyond that, though, it's really an action spa thriller with a lot of thrills and action. A very well-researched battle, The Tower of London. I don't know if it's the best use of audio drama, but it's fairly entertaining if you're looking for action-adventure. I will give this one a rating of 7 tortoises out of 10. Bake Finish also recently released its classic Doctor's New Monsters story in which the uh, classic Doctors uh, face off against uh, monsters from the new series. This uh, first box set featured uh, the Weeping Angels, the Jadoon, the Sycorax, and the new batch of uh, Santarans. It's, it's a different clone batch than was from the classic series. The Fifth Doctor and the Weeping Angel store, I think, worked very well. Uh, it helped that Michelangelo was present in the story. There was a little bit of growing pains in getting this uh, story to adapt you know, to audio, since they're such visual creatures. But there was some uh, very good suspense and a few nice twists in the way the angels worked. Uh, I also did like the guest companions. Uh, The doctors in all these are not with their uh, regular companions, so it's dependent on guests. I think they did a very good job. I will give... And then uh, the uh, Jadoon and Change, Colin Baker's story with the Jadoon, I think was very interesting. Because it features a Jadoon from what we saw in the TV series and episodes like Smith and Jones. They're very officious, stick to the rules, and uh, mercenary in their pursuit of criminals is kind of uh, cops for hire. However, the doctor runs into a Jadoon who is very polite, who is interested in learning poetry, and uh, delivers some great lines. The Sixth Doctor helps the Jadoon escape and they crash in Victorian Earth where they are captured and put into a circus freak show. There's a lot of great twists, some humor, and some serious stuff that is worked in. Uh, that one, This one's by far my favorite. The Seventh Doctor and the Sycorax story was okay and it had a good concept at its heart. It dealt with the idea of human beings becoming so medicated and unable to deal with emotions that uh, we have uh, medical counters with us prescribing uh, medicines to deal with any potential uh, different emotion that might come up. That said, I think the story did drag on a little bit for its length. And it spent far too much time on the guest companion of the week. It started to feel uh, kind of Dr. Lightish. Uh, the final story with the uh, new batch of Sontarans and Paul McGann's 8th Doctor 
was uh, interesting enough. This story is set actually during the Time War, and the Suntorans are trying to get into the Time War. The Time War touches this uh, one planet and changes its history so that it's always been in a constant state of war. And the Doctor uh, lands uh, and is able to assist a woman who's going to try to make peace, but there is a Sontaran who has been exiled and sentenced to ordeal. And I like this story because our thoughts on the Sontaran on the planet uh, definitely change throughout the story. We're uh, challenged and we get to see some complexity to the characters. Overall, this was a fun box set. Uh, it brought together, it's kind of a sampler of different Doctor's works, uh, Sand Companions, and uh, a very good concept. I enjoyed it. Nice to get an 8th Doctor fix in between uh, Doom Coalition box sets. Um, overall, I'll give uh, this box set uh, 7.5 Tardises out of 10. Uh, finally, we have an older release. Uh, this is Spare Parts. Spare Parts uh, is often described as kind of an origin story for the Cybermen, kind of genesis of the Cybermen. Not really the case in many ways, because when the Doctor lands, the process of uh, cyber-converting the population is already well underway. In fact, it's almost nearing its end. And we're seeing people who are on the verge of having their humanity stripped away through the cyber-conversion process. It's a bit of a grim tale, uh, and a cautionary tale as well, as even those who had been charged with the selection of people to become uh, workers for the uh, government are quickly selected uh, to be converted with uh, no choice at all. It's a very well-told tale, and uh, it has twist right up until the end. It, the focus on a single family uh, within this population, which the story does, really does give it a bit of a personal uh, feel, so that you really do feel the tragedy of what's happened. It's an evocative, cleverly written story, and I'll give it nine tortoises out of ten. Well, that's all for now. Thanks so much for listening. From Boise, Idaho, this is Adam. And Andrea Graham. Signing off. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.